the past. It used to be a newspaper. The Bob Podcast. Not outclassed. Ones on mass. Get it on my leader right at the end of the game. The Bob Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buff Podcast. My name's Mark Isles and I'm the Chief Football Writer of the Bolton News. Just in case you are tuning in for the first time, where have you been? We've literally been doing this for 144 episodes. Go back to the beginning, write an essay on how much better Henry is than the last co-host. But if you are a regular, here's what Bolton Wanderers treats are served up this week. Worst game ever or a step in the right direction? Nil-nil, Cambridge, let's talk about it. January sales. Who's leaving in the new year and do they know yet? And dap yes or dap no? Do Wanderers need to get their star man back in the team again? We also bring you Fleetwood predictions, some unpopular opinions and an old friend of the buff returns. Greatest. He's trying to chip. Oh, wonderful goal from John McGinley. McGinley makes his mark in the Premiership. And he rises to the elevated status. Right, okay. Time to introduce the co-host of this podcast and a man who, like me, believes that World Cup football ended when Jason McAteer packed his bags at USA 94. It's Henry Hewitt. Henry, how are you doing? Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we we had a, a really good spell, didn't we, of Bolton Wanderers players being at World Cups, and then I think that ended. Uh, was it twenty fourteen? And then uh, yeah, since then we've had we've had no chance. But hey, here's hoping that Sierra Leone make the next one. Yeah, Chungi, I think was the last one, wasn't he? I think we had a few at two thousand ten. Chungi and, and Stu Holden. I think we tried to claim Vladimir Weiss at one stage. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, yeah, it was it, it was a good run while we lasted. But it's been a while now, and I have to say, and I don't want to make this podcast particularly World Cupy, but I'm failing to get excited at all about it. Yeah, well, um, we are bringing back a popular feature later on, and uh, in the lack of Bolton news, <laughs> uh, Bolton Wanderers news, that may be what my uh, my Barry Knight is. But uh, yeah, I I've got to agree with you. There. Yeah, fair enough. Let's talk about Bolton. Well, should we talk about Bolton? Oh, I don't know. Should we just have a chat? Um, no, it's been it's been another it's been another disgruntled week. And and the weird thing to me, you were at the game, and I I, I generally haven't asked your opinion about the game, so it'll be a surprise to me as well. When I walked when I walked back down the steps after watching that, I said to Jack Dearden, "That was pretty good." That, and he was like, "Yeah, it was pretty good." And and basically all all the local Press lads pretty much agreed it was a very entertaining nil-nil draw. Thought Bolton had fought quite well. A little bit unlucky with the red card, that kind of stuff. Nothing to, to particularly complain about. But actually, when I was driving back and saw the, the reaction on social media, it was very negative. Now, you were sat, you stood, sat. You, you may have been doing a, you, you may have been doing like a cartwheel. I have no idea. But you were, you were in the, you were in the ground. How did you view the game? Um going to use a quote that I heard somebody shout at the Oxford game which really made me laugh I think the referee ruined a bad game <laughs> um, but uh, no I thought uh, I thought yeah it was it was it, I think I think sometimes you go and you you know when it's a nil-nil you just want to 
I don't know. It's there were chances. That's all you asked for. There were chances. There were incident, and there definitely was. But um, yeah, I, I was. I left disappointed because I felt that we could have done enough to win the game. Uh, obviously, looking at Gethin Jones's chance and Dion Charles at the start of the second half. Uh, the referee then, well, well, we'll discuss him in a moment. But uh, yeah, he, he obviously sent off Dempsey. He reminded me of the Port Vale game earlier in the season. Mm. I know Santos got sent off earlier on than Dempsey did, but like, I just felt it. It kind of you go down to ten men, and suddenly you kind of you sacrifice him winning the game a little bit. Uh, and it disappoints. It's disappointing, really. But um, no, all in all, you take the point. I think Ian Everett said that afterwards. Um, it's it's a clean sheet, which we've not had many of recently. So yeah, you you look at the positives. I think, but uh, it's, uh, on the, in the three-hour journey home, hmm. um, you you do wonder. Well, is a nil-nil the result you wanted, or would you? Would did you? Re- you know, would we wanted a one-nil, of course, but. Yeah, I think sometimes it's difficult to take nil-nils, especially when you're in League One, but sometimes I guess you've got to. I'd certainly rather take a nil-nil than a one-nil defeat. And and that's what it would have been had Trafford not turned up with the save, with the last the last kick, which would have happened straight in front of you, I guess. It was, it was an incredible mm-hmm. stop. I had, to, I had to ask him later on whether or not the, the full-time whistle had gone because it literally happened with the last kick of the game. Yeah, it did, and he's one at the start of the second half as well. It was a very good save, mm. uh, and um, yeah, I think Trafford is Trafford's a, a top top goal. If only enough, um, I did spot that they were practicing that in the the warm up where he kind of jilks and Dixon. Uh, he kind of runs out to him and smothers it a little bit. So uh, good to see that the, he got to put that into you know practice into the game, but. Um, yeah, he's a top goalie, isn't he? And uh, you know, I thought as well. I thought it was nice to see. I know we've we've had the discussion of whether Bolton should be a bit, um, you know, winding up opposition fans and slowing the game down a little bit. I think after he got a, a knock in the first half, it was nice to see he was winding up a few Cambridge fans. <laughs> You'll never take that out of him. He's such an interesting character. I've really enjoyed. Uh, I really enjoyed getting to know him. I mean, obviously, the the big talking point was the Dempsey. Red card. Now, my first reaction, having seen the first yellow card live, was he might be in trouble there. I thought the first yellow card was was definitely a yellow and, and may have been straying towards something worse. So the second one happened on the far side of the pitch to me. I didn't have a great look instantly to it, but having seen some of the replays, it looks as if basically he's just checked him because he ran into his path, really. And What was your view of it? Yeah, I've got, with the first one, and the only bit of um, the only compliment really I'd give the referee is uh, in the first one. I felt it could have been a sending off. He did lunge into him. Yeah. So uh, maybe that was a yellow one point five. So if in that case, then I would say that the well, actually, no, I'd say that his second yellow wasn't even a point five. It was a the you know you could tell at the t- at the time, and having seen it back, it it showed me that he. Did, he didn't touch him. He, mm. he, the Cambridge guy could have run. He was. He could have stayed. Got kept going in a straight line, and he would have actually, been, you know, got past him. Mm. He just, uh, yeah, he, he definitely bought the challenge, and and obviously, I mean, I don't know whether the referees had a word with Dempsey and gone, listen, you would that first challenge, you've got no more chances now, you know, because 
if he'd got a yellow card for something as innocuous as I know shirt pulling, for example, then I don't think he would have got a second yellow for that. I think he'd have given more chances. But um, yeah, it was definitely. It, to be honest, I didn't even think the second one was a, a, a free kick. To be honest, I thought yeah, he bought the. He, he went round Dempsey. He's clearly thought I'm not going to get the ball and fallen over. Um, and then obviously the referee sent Dempsey off, which is is what it is. And I felt that second half, it, it was kind of the theme of the game because it, we were racking up yellow cards, weren't we? Including Ian Everett. Eight in total. Uh, referee Darren, Darren Drysdale, easy for me to say. Um, hmm. it's, it's still obviously very difficult. I, I, I have to say there was quite a lot made of the, the official team obviously being the first from the, the armed forces before the game. And I was really willing them on to have a good game, really. It would have made, made a nice um, addition to the the whole match in, in general. But I think from pretty early on, his use of the yellow card was so erratic. It, it, it yeah, no, no referee. I'm not having it. Is 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 biased at all? And they all go into games trying to do the best they can possibly do. We know about the fact that they're not professional at this level. Yada yada. Um, but it just felt really, it really felt imbalanced on Saturday. I, I was, I was, uh, I was quite surprised really because Drysdale's quite an expen- experienced referee, and his performance on the day was dreadful. I, I, I don't, I don't like ref bashing, but it did spoil the game. Your, your whole ninety minutes was basically the Darren Drysdale show. Yeah, I felt that, and I, I don't know whether that was because of the build up to it, and you know, obviously the the armed forces kind of thing with the four officials as well. I don't know whether that was put in his head a little bit that I am the star of the show, and he mm. felt that he needed to make a point. Um, when I, you know, we know we referees. The the best referees aren't noticeable in the game. So he's, you know, but it was interesting. I was I was listening to Radio Cambridge on the way home, and um, it was kind of split fifty fifty with their fans. Their fans, half of them were saying what a great referee he was, um, and what what a great job he did, and the other half saying I don't know what you were watching, but I thought he was dreadful. So that was interesting coming from the home fans because normally if you the opposition player gets a sending off you kind of side with the ref a little bit mm. but um, yeah I, I don't think if uh, if Radio Manchester did a similar poll I don't think they'd be getting getting that response with the Bolton fans put it that way <laughs> the, the vantage point thing is interesting as well uh, you, you mentioned there about Cambridge fans being split with their opinions. So you were behind the goal or one of the goals and quite a way back, there was a, a five-a-side pitch effectively between the back of the goal and where you were you stood slash standing. Uh, st- stood slash standing. My, my words are all over the place um, where you were sat. Uh, so did that, I mean, was that a problem? Did, did it hamper your viewing pleasure? Uh, no, actually. I thought it was quite... Uh, it, it made it better because mm-hmm. if you think at these small grounds, normally if you're in the stand behind the goal, you've you you've very unless you, if if you're stood right behind the goal, you have got the net to contend with. <laughs> like you think of Cheltenham, for example, you've got yeah. to be quite far back to get a view over the crossbar. So I think the extra bit behind it um, actually helps the helps the view. But I, I don't know. Obviously, I'm in there with the Bolton fans. You. We're in a different stand. Were Bolton? Were the fans? Could you hear the fans? Were they loud, or would, did that kind of hamper the the sound a bit? Uh, it, a little bit, a little bit. I think it. I would have said slightly quieter than normal. 
because Bolton's away fans just generally terrific. Uh, so I mean, you'd, you'd have to also say that Bolton weren't giving them a massive amount to get behind in in, in terms of attacking. No. Um, the other reason I bring up the, the kind of vantage point is that people who didn't go to the game were obviously listened to an iFollow feed, which was from the Cambridge perspective. And I know there's been a few complaints about players being misidentified or names being mispronounced and things like that. And, and I think sometimes when you listen to things on the radio, you are kind of goaded into certain things but by the by the commentators and the view they have on things. I think... If if you were to listen to Jack Dearden all the time, oh, perish the thought. But if you were to listen to Jack Dearden all the time, you'd, you'd, you'd obviously get a Bolton slant on things. I do sometimes wonder that whether that shapes opinions, rightly or wrongly, than when you are there in the flesh. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, but um, but no, I think uh, I, I think the thing with I follow is it's so you're never going to get a neutral mm. um, view and. and me and my, my dad always joke that Jack Dearden can make a two-yard tapping sound like a 40-yard screamer. Uh, By so, shouting. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I think um, I, I sometimes enjoy listening to the the opposition, um, mm. you know, because you, you get a... You do, I think you sometimes can get a proper view of where your club's at. And normally when you do listen to... Uh, the opposition commentary be actually quite complimentary to say Bolton as a size of club. Mm-hmm. I know quite a few. I've listened to because I am a saddo. I have listened to the uh, the build ups to games on opposition BBC local radio and like Oxford, for example, are always very complimentary. Going, what a stadium this is! What a great club! Remember when Bolton we had the Cotchers and that sort of stuff. <laughs> so. Uh, so yeah, I think it's uh, it can give you a good opinion. But then on the other hand, during the game, yeah, you you. You're not going to get a an honest view. I actually think Jack did and it can give an honest view of the opposition. Um, whereas I have a and the Markham one, for example, comes to mind where they uh, we don't quite give that. Mm, no, it's a fair point. No, it's uh, it's same old problems though, really, for Bolton on the day. Goal scoring problems. We we might get into the the stats and the data later on a little bit, but. Using our own eyes, we can see that they're not scoring enough goals. Uh, Gethin Jones with one big chance. Now, I will still swear blind that the official, uh, the linesman, raised his flag when that happened. Um, I think there were a couple of people in the press box that also thought the same. Um, We didn't have a great view of the linesman, though, I will say that. So, basically, that was a good chance. Dion Charles, obviously, he's going through the mill at the moment. He didn't look particularly confident for me on Saturday, and that is an issue because he's the guy that everybody's looking to, potentially, to score the goals. Bod Farson pulled out the squad ill during the uh, course of the morning so uh, where what's the solution Henry how how does Ian Everett fix this obvious problem yeah I've got to say on Bod Varson I, I, I was disappointed to see he was uh, he wasn't playing obviously for illness uh, and I thought oh it's like Cristiano Ronaldo so hopefully Bod Varson isn't going to turn up on Piers Morgan <laughs> slagging off the club in the next week but um, uh, yeah it's it's it is an issue at the moment, and it's it's so frustrating because you know we ever, under Ian Everett we've always been either a team that aren't uh, conceding goals, um, 
like if you think of League One, uh, League Two, sorry, I know we we got promoted, but we were winning one or two nils. We weren't mm. scoring that many goals. Last season was the opposite. We were scoring loads, but conceding loads. And this year, now we've gone back to not conceding money, but still not scoring many. So we, um, yeah, it is. I think what's the disappointing thing is if we'd have gone into the season thinking you know, we're a bit we're a bit uh, short up front, you kind of expect it, but. When we were talking before the season and, and the other Bolton podcasts and... Uh, there the are no other Bolton podcasts. <laughs> oh, there's quite a few now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, everyone was saying, um, up front, we're fine. It's, it's other areas we need to improve. So, to now be in the season, and I think we're the only team in the top half who haven't scored over 20 goals and all of that, you... I don't know, you kind of, it's really frustrating because you look at the players and think we've got good players. Charles has proven he can score goals at this level. Bod Varson can. Bakioko proved last year he could. Lying, you know, like even Kachunga got a few. So, yeah, it's just, it's so frustrating at the moment seeing that we're not, we're not taking these chances because I think other than the Cheltenham away game, we have created chances in the games we've played. We just aren't scoring them. Playing all the notes, just not necessarily in the right order, as Eric Morecambe once uh, said. Yeah, I, I mean, all the all the ingredients are there, theoretically. I think there has been a slightly revisionist argument that Bolton haven't invested in a frontline striker that is guaranteed 20 goals. I don't know how much that type of striker would cost nowadays and, and whether or not there is actually one out there. People, of course, will hark back to uh, Cole Stockton, for example, who I think is still totally goalless for this season, having scored 20-odd last season. Uh, so there, I'm not sure necessarily that recruitment is the issue for Bolton. I think they have got players who are capable of, of getting the dozen goals, which I think would be the benchmark I'd be looking for from a Bolton striker at the moment. But confidence is low at the moment, and, and that is a problem for Ian Everett because confidence, as we say, almost on a weekly basis on the buff, is absolutely massive for Bolton more than most teams I would say the style and the brand of football they play it is so much to do with bravado so much to do with gusto mm. uh, tempo and everything else that ends in an O Dapo being one of them mm. okay right let's have some headlines <laughs> Well, uh, we need to improve somewhere, um, and Ian Everett is already looking at January. We mentioned last week that he said he, that players would be available to him to bring in, but now he said that he does expect players to leave in January. Um, we can all imagine one name, one fullback who possibly is one of them. Who do you think are the names in the frame who would possibly look to move on in, in January? Well, using Ian Everett's estimation... He, he said there were players who would be struggling for minutes at the moment, uh, to use his words. So you have to look at who's played how many minutes and those down the bottom of that list would be the ones he'd be on about. So obviously you mentioned Declan John there, who has not played a great deal. And his total absence from the squad, I did a piece earlier in the, the week, basically charting how he finished last season so well and somehow in this style makeover has has ended up dropping right off the uh, right off the cliff 
with Owen Beck and Jack Idale taking his place. So it would be no great surprise to us to see him go. You'd have to say that Kieran Sadley is in that mix as well because he hasn't had the game time that quite a few people would want him to. You can't play everybody and you've, you can only you can only spread it around so much, I think. If you look at the minutes played by the whole squad, actually Ian Everts done a relatively good job with, with keeping most players... Uh, active um, and, and then you're into people like Bakioko or even Dapo I suppose uh, Will Ameson as a centre-half I think if you are that backup centre-half you probably can't expect too much I don't think that's that's usually the area of the team that managers tend to not want to dabble too much with and that's proven the case with Ian Everett um, but I'm, I dare say Will Ames will want to be playing games, so he may well fall into that bracket as well. Um, I think there's, there's half a dozen players you could make a case for there, Henry, and I think it will be interesting in January because it, they've got they, they've not got a bottomless pit of money. They've not got a bottomless pit of, of funds for wages, so they're going to have to create some space from somewhere. I know, I know Ian Everett said that he's going to be they he'll be backed financially, but I think realistically you can't carry a really big squad at Bolton Wanderers these days so I think somebody's going to be going out the door and it's it's more than likely going to be a player that a lot of, of people think should be in the team yeah I think um I, I think you're right I think uh, you know yeah definitely you're right you can't have a massive squad at Bolton Wanderers and I think we're proving that this year but we have um we, you know we've got a very good squad of League One players, in my opinion, I think the problem is is that you can't play a team of of eighteen every week. Mm. So therefore, yeah, there are players that aren't playing much. I mean, the names you've mentioned there, Declan John. I think we all think he's going to be on his way in the in January. And I think to be fair to Declan John, he's a good League One player. So I'd be surprised if he has to drop down the uh, the leagues. Um, Will Ameson's another one, a very good League One player, but you know. You know, is he going to get ahead of the the sort of four uh, or five centre halves we've got at the moment? It looks like Owen Toll, who was on the bench the other day, will probably get a chance over him. And I know that he's playing different positions amongst the, the that back three, but um, I think I, I think the the thing is is that and what we saw, you know, he came out halfway through in January last year. He came out and said we were too um, faithful mm. to you know, loyal to some of the players that got us out of League Two. And I think that's the sign of where we are as a club at the moment, is that we, we're looking to move forward and we're not just going to stay there and, and keep players happy who the manager doesn't believe in. And and quite clearly, despite the fact that the whole fan base would like to see, say, sadly, get more of a run, it looks like he ever doesn't trust him or he doesn't believe in him. And, you know, and, and that's why he's not playing as much as what... Maybe he should do. Um, mm. And you've got to think, yeah, look, look at Bakioko. He's been disappointing this year. So is he a man that the, the manager's looking to move on? And yeah, like I said, they're not going to be loyal. So if they've got players that they're looking at and going, this is a championship player who we can get in League One and can push us forward, then he's, unfortunately, the fan favourites are going to have to go. And um, I, I think an interesting point as well would be to look at... we. Because I know a lot of fans maybe would be unhappy if Sadly went and say he's not really had a chance or, or a few of the others. But 
we owned the Ian Everett. We've had it before. You look at Ronan Darcy, you look at Dennis Politic. These are players that the the fan base was saying should be playing more. But the fan like with Dennis Politic, no one could understand why he left. Mm, mm. But he's not exactly been pulling up trees at Port Vale. So um, you know, you've got to believe in what the Ian Everett and Chris Mark can believe you know, think about the players. And the ones that move on, unfortunately, probably won't are just not good enough where we want to be at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's it in a nutshell. You don't have to agree with it, but ultimately there's only one guy that gets to decide who plays, and that's Ian Ever, and he lives and dies by that, because if he gets it wrong, then he's out the door and, and another manager comes in and, and everything starts again. It's it's interesting the point you make about the the admission last season that too much faith was had in the team that brought Bolton up, because I think... Right here, right now, Bolton are at a, a really crucial juncture in their building. And I think I mentioned it last week, if not the week before, about the kind of phase two of evolution, if you will. They have a collection of players, the Gethin Joneses, the MJ Williams, the Kieran Lees, uh, Ricardo Santos, uh, that, have, that have been with him through the journey. And... They have to now be looking at players who are better than the where they're aiming at. So, i.e., we've got a good squad of League One players. Every one of them is comfortable at this level. I've got no question about that. How many of them can go and play championship football? And, and I've said before, I'm not entirely comfortable to say that there's a lot of people that could make that step up. So that is that is where he can look at last January and look at what happened last year and say, well, we can get ahead of cur- ahead of the curve. And also those players have to step up and do more as things stand. I think, I think there's the whole squad has plateaued at this minute in time. The whole squad is just treading water. And I think even if nothing happens in January, they will be there or thereabouts in the kind of the fringe of the playoff squad. But that, that can't be what you're aiming at. You have to be aiming for more than that. And and whether that comes in via recruitment in January or whether that comes from this group of players, that would be the ideal, of course. Both would be ideal. But something's got to happen for me for Bolton to be comfortable playoff, or dare I say it, top two. Yeah, I think when you look at the... the, the if you look at Plymouth and Ipswich, for example, and Sheffield Wednesday, they are more consistent than us. And, um, you know, I, I, the thing is, I don't think they're that much better than us, which is encouraging, but I just think mm. they've got certain aspects, like they've got players that can score goals from, you know, you've, you've got that, them strikers, you've got the Freddie Ladapos, you've got the Matt Smiths, um, sorry, Michael Smith, what's he, it's the Smith. The big lad. Wednesday, <laughs> the Smith big lad, yeah, the guy that played at Rotherham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Plymouth have got, you know, guys that scoring goals, whereas we haven't, and... Okay, we're conceding less than them, but um, yeah, that's that's obviously an area that we need to improve. And I think they're a bit more gritty than us. They can grind out results where we don't necessarily have that. But um, I think we fall in that second bracket of teams who are looking to be in the playoffs. I think we're comfortably in that. And I think when you look at the bigger the bigger perspective on things, we. We are in that. It's good that we're in that position. We've we've done things right. We've gone mm. up from League Two into mid-table in League One. We've now pushed forward. Now we're in that playoff sort of area. 
And okay, it might not work out this year, but then you'd expect with the where we're going that we're going to then be in the top uh, sort of tier of the league next year. Mm. But like you said, you can't just, are we going to do that with these players? Maybe not. And I love these players. I love this team. So I, I, I'm very, I would love to see it happen with this team. But at the moment, you can look at certain individuals and go, okay, the effort's there. And I think the effort is there with a lot of them. I don't think any of them are just phoning it in. Mm. But is the quality quite there? Possibly not. No, football doesn't stand still. Let's have another headline. Uh, yeah, well, um, you got to spend some time with Phil Brown at the weekend, even if it was just sat next to him in the in the media <laughs> bit. Um, and he was talking about the uh, you know the goalkeeper and goal scorer debate. Mm. Um, so I heard a little bit of this, but what for those who didn't, what what was he saying? And and do you agree with the points he was making? Yeah, well, Brown, Brownie was. Uh, excellent. I mean, it's always great value. I, I, and I, I would love to be on the other side of it sometimes because I don't get to listen to the radio, <laughs> obviously, because I'm, I'm sat there in the press box with him. Um, but I think sometimes when you listen to him uh, talking um, with a, a massive experience, he does know what he's on about. And I thought he was quite complimentary, A, a towards the, uh, the standard of the performance overall. I think he was quite sympathetic to the problems that Ian Everett's facing. And I think he can see there is uh, improvement on the team as well. I think he, he appreciates the job he's done. Um, but he did talk about goal scorers. He, he does believe from what he's seen that there isn't an, an ab- absolute goal scorer in there. Somebody that's going to go and get you 20 goals or somebody that's going to be one in two in the way he put it. Somebody like an Andy Walker or John McGinley or Owen Coyle that he played with. Now, I would I would temper that personally that the, the game has moved on and that you're not going to get too many one in two strikers. Certainly, you're not going to get two of them at the same time unless you are extremely lucky as as Bolton had back in the day with with Walker and McGinley or with McGinley and Blake or that kind of thing. I think the the, the two-man attack has changed. The game has changed. You're just going to have to get your head around that, unfortunately. That's just the way things are. Um, But he did... He he, he does think that their build-up play that the way they're moving the ball, the areas they're getting into are worth more goals. And so really it is a confidence issue as to who's going to step up and actually take some of them. And um, as we said before, there are a few candidates there. It's 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 there for somebody to grab. Um, the second half of it was, he was very impressed with James Trafford, um, but he talked about the idea of not having a substitute goalkeeper on the bench and obviously there was a moment in the first half where James Trafford went down he was we thought he was clutching his thigh he came out afterwards with a lot of strapping on his ankle and Ian Everett said he had a dead leg so somewhere along the lines there is <laughs> so there is a there is a problem there um and obviously there would have been no replacement so we've had this conversation so many times Henry Brownie suggests that the percentages are so small that it isn't a big thing, it isn't a problem, but you are just waiting for somebody to really clash him. But And he admitted himself, he said, you know, if I were an opposition manager, I'd stick the ball under the crossbar and give James Trafford a couple of uh, couple of knocks to, to just test just test his mentality there and just test test what's going on because it could happen. Yeah, I mean, on the goalkeeper, uh, on the goal scoring thing, I think yeah, it's like he said, you 
even at League One level, you need um, you, you you need to take the chances. If you're going to finish at the top of the table, no matter what level you're in, and I know League One, you can kind of get you expect that the goal the strikers aren't going to score every chance, but you know some of the chances we've been doing, we need someone to score them, and that's why we're at the moment seventh. But in the goalkeeping thing, I you know what I. I always thought it was mad that we didn't have a, a goalkeeper on the bench. And then when, pe- when people have said, oh, actually, statistically, you don't actually... How many times does a sub-goalie come off the bench? And you do... Yeah, you do think, actually, no, there's not many ta- uh, you know, times. Like, we've... For all the, all the different goalies we've had under Ian Everett, actually, none of them have... Um, none of them have had to come off a bench. Last, last time I remember it happening... Andy Lonergan getting knocked out at, was it Derby? And I think mm. it was Mark Howard or it could have been Rachubka that came on at the time. That's, yeah, that, it's very rare. It is very rare. And then, and then you, you know, you, I mean, you're trusting that the goalkeeper isn't going to get sent off as well, which hasn't happened mm. many times. But, you know, I think, um, I think, yeah, it is a good point that we you don't see. But at the same time, you do, yeah, your heart's in your mouth every time and you think it is going to happen at one point. It's going to happen in the first half and we have to play an hour with a centre-half in goal or <laughs> whoever he's chosen to be the goalie. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it is a gamble, of course it is. But, um, you know, you would, with five goalies, maybe that's where you'd say, OK, you don't, you know, the you don't need to have one on. But now we've got seven, and especially if it, it rolls to nine, you would like to think that okay, just stick a goalie on. Mm. Who, who do you reckon would go in goal? Um, well, you want someone who's quite tall and quite uh, I don't know, nimble and can get about. I don't know. Um, you, they'd probably stick. I don't know. They'd probably like on the school. Yeah, they'd probably stick. I don't know the youngest in goal, so that would be I don't know Thomason or something. A <laughs> going goal. Uh, has he has he hinted who the goalie could be? No, no. We've had this conversation a million and one times before. People write in. I've we've honestly I, there's the roll of the eyes every time it comes up. But uh, every every single person has tried every single way of asking this question, and it always comes back to. Uh, it's it's a risk worth taking. So, I suppose one day there is going to be a time where a James Trafford or whoever it might be gets sent off and or uh, injured. And I, I also think that his confidence—he's such a confident keeper. He's coming for a lot of crosses. It could be accidental. It doesn't necessarily need to be nefarious that, that he's being targeted. I yeah. I mean, I'm I'm starting to lean towards it's becoming a risk now because it seems to be happening a couple of times. You know, every other game that that Traff's getting a knock, and I know he's got a flair for the drama, but oh, I, I just don't want to. I don't want to be the guy that has to go and tell Ian Ever I told you so after the final whistle. Um, mm. That <laughs> that's not a conversation I relish having. Um, so please, Henry, rescue me. Give me another headline. Um, right. Well, it's um, Keith Hackett has uh, been mm. talking. He's the is the head of the referees, is he? Or I don't know what job they got now. He's certainly a referee of ex repute, yes. Yeah. Uh, so he was talking about Jurgen Klopp and saying that, uh, I don't know if people noticed on Saturday that he had a one-match ban, but was in the stands still communicating with mm. the bench. And he was saying he shouldn't be allowed to communicate with the bench. Uh, now, this brought us back to when Big Sam used to do it back in the day. 
Um, do you think that because it, it clearly worked for Big Sam? It's not. It, it was kind of a fad, wasn't it, for a bit, and it's not seen anymore. Do you think that's had its day, or could that come a, make a comeback? I'd love to see Bolton try. I think Phil Parkinson used to have Julian Derby go up, certainly at home games where you have a really high gantry and you can take a real view of the pitch. I think, if I'm honest, he never uses the technology available to him to be able to look at that and have his analysts look at that inside the dugout. I think there's already that kind of feed from from where the gantry are. And, and also, like you saw at Cambridge the weekend, you'll certainly see it at Fleetwood this weekend, a lot of grounds haven't got that kind of really lofty, lofty perch. If a match of the day or a TV sky come and, and do a do a do a broadcast. They'll often build a gantry and 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 go higher with their own scaffolding and that kind of thing. Um, so, I think probably it would be easier to do it in the Championship or the Premier League as Big Sam did. Um, but I uh, I think I think there's there's something to it. I think it'd be it'd be interesting for Everett to take himself away from the touchline, and we've talked quite a bit about touchline behaviours and whether or not it does a manager any good to be you know continually barking to be continually in in the fourth official's ear or the linesman's ear or the referee's ear and a couple of times again on Saturday Darren Drysdale came over and don't get me wrong I side with Ian Ever in that he had something to complain about but did that do him more harm than good what do you think um yeah, I think when a referee's got one on him, quite clearly, but Drysdale did on Saturday, I think it, it does you harm. Um, you know, I think sometimes it can do you some good if, if yeah, if the referee has genuinely made a mistake. But I, I don't think Drysdale was open to that idea, so it did do him harm. But, um, yeah, well, it, like I say, it works for, for Big Sam. I read um, that Big Sam used to have a monitor that was like six seconds behind so he could mm. see, see everything again. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think he does give you a better. Like I sat up in the uh, well near where you sat uh, sit uh, against Charlton a few weeks ago, and uh, I actually said to my dad afterwards, I said, "Well, what did you think of that view?" And he said, "Yeah, he said I don't know, I, I don't really like it because you can spot the mistakes more than when you sat <laughs> lower down." Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think um, you know he does. You can see more of the play, and you can see more of where players should have passed it and stuff. So, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, maybe in the future, it's more of the, the Phil Parkinson way of just sending up one of the coaches to get a view from up there. But like you said, there's technology now that even at League One level, you can see it, you can see the game still. So it doesn't necessarily matter. You can have everyone in the dugout and, um, you know, and, and still still get that view. Mm-hmm. Um, right, another headline, uh, Gary Cahill has announced his retirement uh, this week and I know a lot of Bolton fans have, have a lot of good things to say about him. I know you did an article about it as well. So, yeah, one of the, um, one of the, I guess one of the last remaining elements of Bolton's, um, Bolton's Premier League years has now retired. It seems absolutely ridiculous to me that Gary Cahill has retired because yeah, he's he's still he's still young in my eyes. Uh, yeah, crazy. But what a, what a career, eh? I mean, what a career. What what did he do after Bolton? I don't know. Hmm. Didn't do a lot, did he? Really. Um, but I, just a really good guy. I I know I, I wrote this um, in the piece I did earlier this week, but I would say. 
top three in terms of players I've dealt with at Bolton Wanderers in terms of his character, uh, down-to-earthness, um, just a really, really professional fella and... Uh, you know, you could see that he was going to be really good. That was the that was the thing. I, I can count. There's not many. There's not many since I started doing this job. Players that have been at the very top of what they're doing. Uh, obviously, Yuri, brilliant player. We, I'm not disputing that for a single second. Fernando Hierro, brilliant player. But obviously, they'd had higher points in their careers. You might argue that JJ's highest point was actually at Bolton because it was in the Premier League. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I think possibly the German and French clubs he played for beforehand might dispute that one, but we'll we'll leave that one open. But Jaskalainen, Anelka, Davis, Nolan, you know, players that have been at their absolute pomps have been fairly few and far between I think at Bolton Wanderers um, world you know real good players I mean real top top players uh, Premier League level and Kale was was there for me uh, he was he was the best defender I've seen in a Bolton shirt and that's I've seen some good ones um, just just great player yeah he was and you could all I mean you I guess you you can judge a player off how they do after leaving a club and how the club does. And the mm. fact that he left Bolton in the January, Bolton then got relegated and he won a Champions League probably uh, within within four months. Mm. Tells you everything about it. But um, yeah, he was a good player. And I noticed he, he actually had some nice words to say about Bolton. And he said, uh, you know, we allowed him to make the mistakes and, and mm. learn. And, um, you know, I guess that is... Uh, that was the thing at the time, you know. He he, he signed under Gary Megson and he did he did well. He scored a lot of goals for us. Um, yeah, you know, we were he wasn't perfect because we did concede a lot of goals, but he you could still sense that he was a top player. And when Chelsea came in for him, we couldn't, you know, you, it wasn't a shock, and we made a, quite a bit of money on him. And uh, uh, yeah, do you know what? I'd... I'm going to take issue at that, Henry, because actually, I just just thought I wish I'd have mentioned this, but I'm going to I'm going to butt in and stop you instead. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? Probably the biggest mistake that Bolton have made in the transfer market was not to take one of those earlier offers for Gary Cale. Because they were coming, he at the end of that season, coming into that summer of the last season in the Premier League, as it turns out. But there were clubs falling over themselves to get Gary Cale. So Manchester City, Tottenham, Arsenal being the main three, I think, at that point in time. And and it, loads was written about it, and, and it it kind of it it almost lessened in people's eyes because so much was being written about it it was as if it wasn't happening it was as if he was being touted it wasn't they were literally in for him and anecdotally I'm told that, that Bolton were offered in excess of 20 million at one stage for Gary Cale but Bolton turned it down and they ended up getting 7 million pounds which at the time was actually the owner Eddie Davis looking to recoup some of the money that he'd spent on him originally, and and you know making that business decision. But actually, it left them very little else. And I, I know they brought in Tim Ream, who ended up being a decent player for Bolton Wanderers, and another very very decent fella as well. Um, but from there on in, it was like the beginning of the end, really, as far as investments. It was all diminishing returns from there. 
um, you know, transfer business-wise, that really is one of the ones that stings the worst for me. Mm, yeah, well, uh, yeah, a bit of a sour note to end that little section <laughs> 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 on. I've but, killed uh, Henry, I've killed Henry. <laughs> oh, no. But, uh, no, I think Gary Cale, top, top player. And, uh, yeah, it was nice to see a lot of Bolton fans singing his praises uh, the other day. Um, right, let's round off the headlines. See, we're going we're gonna to talk about stats. You've mm. been looking at stats. And uh, James Trapper was talking about stats the other day. He says stats means nothing. Um, you know, you, you question, do we, put, do we put too much on data? And then you did a, an article uh, looking at data saying uh, about Dapo and it actually turns out that the data means says that it doesn't really make a difference whether he plays or not so uh, let's collectively put them together yeah do we put much too much on data even as fans do we put too much on data it's probably easy to do it I, I, I appreciate I'm I'm one of the worst for it as well because I actually find stats really interesting that's that's the nerdy side of me sh- shining through I, I'm totally uh, not going to apologize for it um, if you don't like them great don't read those particular stories I do lots more um, but mm. the the stats mean nothing Traff in in absolute bullshit mood coming out and just we, we said oh you, you know you, you according to many different uh, websites and metrics and all that kind of stuff, you, you're among the, the top in the EFL. And, and he just went, nah, I don't, I don't, I'm not bothered. Not bothered. I'll, t- I'll tell you when I'm playing well. And after every game, I'll tell you I'm, I'm better than the last one. Um, confidence is not something he struggles for. Uh, what I will say is that as we were walking away with Trev, <laughs> stats mean nothing to him, don't forget. Um, he talked about wanting to score a goal and uh, and somebody I might have been um, might have been Derek actually that said uh, oh well, you have got a couple of assists this season and uh, he turned around quick as a flash and said uh, yeah I've got more uh, more assists than any other goalkeeper in the football league mm. <laughs> and I thought yeah stats don't mean anything ah oh, dear um, oh. but look they're everywhere they're everywhere the, the football football. Uh, we've gone past the point of no return with statistics and football and data and football. It's there. It's gonna. It's gonna only get worse, like American football. Um, it's all been uh, flooded with different ways to interpret the way the game is. Some of it is useful, I think. Some of it is a little bit overboard. Um, I enjoy some of it. I, I don't know whether I invest much in things like XG that necessarily because. Everybody seems to have their interpretation of, of their own XG, so who's right? It's, it's a bit of a strange one. Um, but the, the, the undeniable things that, that I kind of dug out uh, on a story I did about Dapois Lion and, and Bolton's attacking returns, as I called them, is that last season, Bolton were having more shots at goal and they were having more shots on target and their XG, if you care about that, is was higher at this stage of last season. And that's whilst we were complaining about Owen Doyle and Sarsvik and Bakioko not being good enough at the time. So, whilst the team has developed and defensively, all those stats stack up. You know, they are, they are giving away um, less chances, fewer chances, fewer shots, fewer shots on target. 
um, this the style makeover that we talked about so often the high pressing has taken something away from the attack and added something to the defence and so it's that balancing act that Ian Everett has now got to try and solve find something that's going to sharpen up the attack without losing that overall um, defensive solidity that he's, he's, he's brought in and he should be applauded for I don't think it's easy to do so that's in a sense, the plan is working everywhere, with the exception of in front of goal, um, which sounds, uh, you know, it's an easy thing to say, but it's a big thing. And uh, yeah, ultimately, Afalayan, people would say, yeah, but Adapo was in last season, he was scoring loads of goals. Weirdly enough, you look at the, the stats, Bolton was slightly better in attack, not massively, but slightly. But you look defensively, and actually with Dapo in the team, as opposed to not in the team, Bolton's defensive record is massively better without him in the team, um, which might be ultimately a clue to why he's not in the team at the moment. D -d Defensively, Bolton are better without him. Yeah, I think um, it's... Yeah, it, we, we all have our favourite players and we all have our formations that we'd like to play. But as we said before, Ian Everett's the man who, who chooses it mm. and he looks at stats and he looks and goes... Right, we've got a better chance of winning playing this way and that way, and I know a lot of people are laughing at that at the moment. But um, you know, it's about fight. They've they've got a formation. They want to find players that can play in that formation. And I think for players like Dapo at the moment, for for me personally, and I'm sure a lot of other people, he's better coming in off the the wing. Um, you know, that's where he was at the start of last season. But we don't play that type of position. We don't play mm -hmm. that that role. So you've got to find, well, where does he best fit? And I think that's the thing for a lot of players uh, with us. And, and, that's, and I think the game at the moment is now so stats heavy that it, you can pick a team based on stats a lot more now, and especially with the modern managers, a lot more than just looking at them in training or looking at them you know, in, a, in a game. It used to be that obviously you'd play 4-4-2 or you'd play whatever formation and you'd pick players based on what you're seeing whereas now it's more stats based and that player gives us more drives into the final third or, or whatever but yeah as, as we've said on this podcast it's the thing for Bolton at the moment is they need to score goals and you're right it is great for Ian Everett and great for the club that we've, we've shored it up at the back which we needed to do after last season but the problem is now is that we're not scoring the goals. And I do think if, if we had a player who was scoring goals, who had got 10 goals already in the league, then no one would be moaning about Ian Everett's style of play. No one would be yeah, moaning yeah. about what's happening because they'll go, well, it works and we've, we're winning games and we've got a striker who's, uh, who's playing well and we've it looks brilliant. But I think the frustrating thing for a lot of people is the way we play, when it works, it's brilliant. But what's the point when you're not scoring goals? You might as well just kick it up to, um, the, you know, be more direct because you've got as much a chance of scoring. So um, the one thing I will say, and I know a lot of people get frustrated with playing it out from the back, you know, I do believe, I'm not a stats guy. I I, I do read your articles, Mark, but it doesn't matter. Stats don't <laughs> you matter don't have to. to. Me. <laughs> um, but... Uh, think playing out the back does make more sense because if you're going to just hoof it up front you've you've got probably more of a chance of where a, a defender's going to head it back and the other team are going to win possession again whereas you're controlling possession if you play it out and I know it gets frustrating but I do believe in that but yeah it's um, I for one think 
not got anything against stats being used for for the uh, um, in in the team for the management because that's what they're there to do. My thing is when you go on Twitter and see that stats, uh, some people love it and that's great. But for me, I, I I don't really care when fans are saying, "Oh well, we've got this and that and this XGs and stuff like that." <laughs> but then again, I I just like watching the game. I'm not you know I don't really care about that sort of stuff. Well, it's to each their own, isn't it? And uh, I think as long as you offer offer a balance of it, uh, because there's there's always going to be room for the eye in the game, and you don't need any data whatsoever to look at Bolton's performances since Cheltenham, for example, and say, "Hey, you're not converting enough chances." That's obvious, um, and. I certainly, having looked at the, looked at the data and made it and simplified it as best as I can do, you can see there is a chunk. The beginning of the season was good, and there is a chunk, starting with the Cheltenham game, even including the two games they won, where they haven't created enough chances, they haven't had enough shots on target, they're not getting the ball in the same areas, they're not they're not getting past people as much. You know, we you can I can bore you to death with all the all the different nuances of it all but ultimately it comes down to you not getting enough shots away on goal and that is where the balance from the defensive solidity and the attacking freedom has maybe just tipped the wrong way it's not in, it's not unsolvable is it let's be honest um, all you need is for you know Bob Farson to come back at the weekend grab a few goals against Fleetwood and then everybody's happy again but um it's uh, it look football's complex if it was really really easy then we'd all be premier league managers um but uh, right okay do you know what's really really easy bringing this old chestnut back Yes, dragging the hallmark feature, kicking is screaming out of retirement. It is time for us both to pick one good thing and one bad thing from the week just gone at Wanderers. Actually, we're just we're just going to go for. I'm going to go for an all right. You go for the Barry Knights because okay. I, I, as I as I was thinking about last night, I couldn't think of a Barry Knight, so I thought I'm going to give you the Barry Knight. And I'm going to have the all right. I'm going to have the I'm going to be the the positive one, and you can be the negative one as always. Um, so I'm. Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want to go Barry Knight first? Yeah, well, I mean, I couldn't really think of a Barry Knight myself apart from the stuff that we uh, we'd spoke about earlier in the podcast. So instead, I'm going to go for the World Cup. Um, it's going to be interesting because we've never had it where Bolton have been playing at the same time as an international tournament. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad we are because it, it could give us a distraction uh, if England don't do well. Uh, but I do think it will. It, and I know some people will sort of laugh at this idea because, yeah, Bolton Wanderers are, of course, the biggest club in the world and nothing else matters. <laughs> but I think it it kind of, I don't know, it kind of, it, it'll get lost a bit, the season. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know what effect it'll have as when we start playing at home again in a few weeks, whether, uh, I know England won't be playing on the same day, but whether it'll affect attendances or whether people, we, it might improve attendances because... Uh, fans of other clubs might come and watch us but um, no I just think that 
on the whole, I think the whole thing has been a mess. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's been said about the actual hosting of the World Cup in Qatar, which I'm not going to get into. But I just think that it's... I think sometimes... Uh, and you only appreciate this when you're actually supporting a club in League One or League Two. I think the League One or League Two gets um, it kind of gets the raw end of it quite a lot of times, and I think it has in this situation because you, you're carrying on in a time where uh, it, it becomes second nature. I'm mm. surprised. I know I know our Christmas match has been moved against Derby, but I'm surprised Sky Sports. It was their opportunity for me. To just put a load of League One and League Two matches on the TV, you know, put as many matches on as they are. Uh, obviously, around the World Cup, I don't expect to put a League One match on when England are playing, for example. But this was their opportunity to really drum in that this is a great leagues that we cover, um, and and just fill the schedule with loads of matches and really sell it. And I don't think they are doing, and I think that's a shame. Yeah, it's weird what Sky do at this time of year. They, they, because they haven't got any rights to the World Cup, it always seems weird watching Sky Sports and seeing, you know, Paul Paul Merson sat watching a telly watching England. <laughs> like, who's yeah. watching that? Who is actually watching it? I'm, I'm with you. I, I, why not stick a bit of football on that we some people actually would watch? Yeah, it always makes me laugh. That it's like there's a, I think there's a famous video of Steve McLaren watching England be Iceland, and yeah, yeah. Uh, that guy does the round. I'm like. Who's watching? Like it's available <laughs> free on TV. Who is who's going and what? Who's watching that? Yeah, mate, it baffles me. But like that's my point. Is I think I know I follows free, uh, not free, but available to watch mm. every game, which is great and fair play for the FL for doing that. But yeah, I just think it's it was a big opportunity for Sky. They could have really gone big on League One and League Two, and, and as well, if England don't do well you are going to have a market for it because people are going to go, well, I'm not into the World Cup anymore. I'm bored of this. So there is a market there for it. And I just think, they've, especially the amount of big teams in League One, you could have really sold it. And I don't think they're doing it. So that's a shame for me. No, no. I mean, we won't go into the who's, why's and wherefores of the Qatar World Cup. But one, too small a country. Two, a million and one reasons ethically why that country should not have the World Cup. And three, I would like to think that England will speak out and at least, at least, put uh, put across their side of the story at some stage in this tournament because uh, I, I mean there's so much wrong with it. Absolutely disgusting that FIFA decided to have uh, a World Cup in Qatar. But that's my two penneth worth. A bit of Barry Knight there for you. Um, but uh, let's let's bring you something wholesome, something pure. My all right for this week is the welcome I got at uh, Cambridge United, especially the lady who, for my sins, I didn't ask her name. Um, but she looks after the press box. Um, she brought uh, a, a Cambridge pie, which even had the Cambridge badge on it. Um, it's a brisket and ale one. Oh, it was lovely. Uh, she brought us teas, brought us coffee. She chatted to us. She was talking about Jack Iredale. She was talking about George Taft, another player who, who uh, obviously played for Cambridge and played for Bolton. Um, lovely, lovely people there at Cambridge. They couldn't do enough for you. And um, I, they, it has accelerated Cambridge to one of, if not my favourite away ground now to be uh, to be going to. It was great. And they've also decked out the press box in decent benches as well, which makes it actually quite pleasant to work at. Um, but it doesn't, it takes absolutely nothing for, for that 
that kind of welcome, that kind of politeness. And it's strange how many clubs look at it, look at welcoming you when you just go in there to do a job, as if it's some like a chore or like, oh God, you're here again. Um, but uh, Cambridge, wonderful, absolute credit to the club, and it made my day that bit better even though the game wasn't absolutely you know the the end result wasn't absolutely fantastic at least that bit of things was was great and uh, i hope that was echoed in the the stewards and the, the welcome that the fans got as well henry uh it was actually it was very pleasant um you know i think the uh yeah obviously bolton fans were getting frustrated at the sending off and the referee mm. and stuff but um no in terms of the stewards they were uh, they seem to be good to me, um, very, very polite, very hospitable, um, which you'd expect from Cambridge. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think even with the fans, uh, I think, he, I mean, it helps because they're raucous fans, I guess, are behind the other goal. But uh, there wasn't the, the usual goading and stuff like that happening. So, mm. uh, yeah, it was pleasant. I mean, the ground itself, it's an old ground, isn't it? It's sort of patched together and, and you know, and it's very tight. So, yeah. You can't really walk around it and stuff, but um, the area was lovely, I've got to say. Did you go through Cutthroat Lane? Um, I, don't, I don't have a clue, to be honest. I could have done. <laughs> there's, a little, there's a little street just before the main car park, if you come in from the, the New Market Road, and it's called Cutthroat Lane. I love that. It's great. Um, did you have a pie? I did, actually. I had the same one as you, and it was very nice, uh, with a Cambridge badge on it, yeah. Yeah, very, very nice. I'll have another one of them bad boys anytime. If you're listening, Cambridge, send me one through the post. I'd even eat it then. Ah, right. Uh, but it's time for some predictions. Pass us me crystal ball. What's happening next week? Prediction time. Predictions. Do we predict a goal this weekend, Henry? Uh, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we'll... I think we'll we'll banish the ghost of last season, that three 0 defeat, and we'll uh, we'll get a goal. Fleetwood are, are actually like ourselves; they don't concede many, so they're um, so we we can't be expecting a a thumping. But um, no, I think we'll I think we'll win. I think we'll get a two one. I think we'll get. So we've got MJ Williams back from suspension, but Kyle Dempsey will be out through suspension, and of course in the midfield off Fleetwood these days is a certain Joshua Vella um, which I'm going to predict a little bit of fireworks there yeah well we didn't really get many when we played Shrewsbury last year did we and he, he played but uh, who did he kick yeah. up in the air oh it was the, it was the one before that wasn't it that he kicked the young lad up in the air Regan Riley yes yeah but um, no I think Josh Vella will be up for it I think the fans will I think we a lot of fans like Josh Vella and uh and appreciate what he did for the club, but I think he'll still be getting a lot of sticks. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it should be interesting. But as long as we win, it doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, Scott Brown's team are—they're uh, quite well. They're built around Josh Feller. In fairness, he, he's very much an ar- archetypal type of player for them nowadays. It's it's a very very difficult place. It always feels to me like a completely separate stadium. When I, rem- I remember going covering the 4-2 in the promotion season, 16-17, that wonderful day, get Jem Karachan appearing out of absolutely nowhere, Darren Prattley coming back from broken leg, uh, Alfie scoring the goals. I mean, it was a great, great afternoon and it just seemed a wonderful day of fish and chips and just revelry. 
And yet you compare that to last season in that 3 0 it feels like a totally different town. It was grey, it was miserable, it was raining, it was dreadful football. We got caught up in like some sort of social club afterwards that meant that we couldn't do post-match interviews. We stood there for like half an hour waiting for them to finish talking so we could actually speak to our own manager and, and players. It was just dreadful. Um, I'm, I just, I'd, I'd be happy for a happy medium. Like, uh, yeah, I think a, a nice 2-1 win. Did, I mean, Bodvarsson hopefully is over his illness. Do you see him changing too much of the team? Um... I, well, I think see probably Kieran Lee come back into it. I think that's what we we maybe missed his composure a little bit last week. But uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, put Bod Barton and Charles. Uh, you know, I'd stick with Charles. I know that he's getting a lot of stick at the moment because he isn't scoring goals. But I think it, it will happen. He will. He showed against Oxford that he if he gets a chance, he he can score. So yeah, I think uh, Bod Barton and Charles. I'll uh, I'll have him with. Um, I, I think it's a game for Dapo as well so mm. I don't know fit them all in well I'd love to see Dapo back firing and then I'll be able to write yet another story about him <laughs> if it wasn't for Dapo for lying I reckon I'd be able to take a third off my overall writing workload um, he did half keep us in copy, but uh, there we go. Right, well, there is just enough time, I think, probably just for a couple of very quick World Cup predictions, Henry. Whilst this is the predictions section, I'm going to I'm going to ask you where are England going to finish. Well, I, uh, I mean, had a bit of success in the last few uh, tournaments. I do expect at some point England will fail miserably, um, but I, I saw somebody's bracket. On uh, on Twitter, I think mm. uh, the other day, and they had England getting to the final, and the route to the final, I thought, okay, that's actually not a bad route. So I think, it, like twenty eighteen, if England can finish top of the group, and then I think they'll play, maybe play the the winner of Senegal. the group A, Senegal, yeah. yeah so, um, and then after that, I think it might be Denmark, mm-hmm. and so I think, yeah, I think I'm I'm more confident after seeing that, but. Um, I think England will win the group, and uh, I think we'll. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'll say semi-finals again. I'm going England down in the quarter-finals. I've. I'm with you. I think they've had a very good run. Just doesn't seem to be fizzing at the minute, and I. I just don't think that. I think Harry Kane looked knackered before he went off to the World Cup. So how much pressure is on his shoulders? Have England really got goal-scoring flair at the minute? does Southgate even set them up to care about that sort of thing? I'm not too sure he does. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going for quarterfinals. Um, I'm going to go for Argentina to win it. How about you? Yeah, I think um, yeah, Argentina teamed a lot of people's choice with the, the climate and mm. uh, and stuff. Um, but, you know, you can never rule Germany out, can you? They always seem to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Brazil as well, I suppose. They've got to be, I looked at their squad the other day. It's absolutely ridiculous, some of the players they've got in that team. How, how they don't win more, I don't know. But anyway, um, and I'm going to go for top goal scorer, Henry, and, and Memphis Depay. I reckon he's going to be... Remember Oleg Selenko doing it? And I think it was 1998. Could have been 94. But basically, he scored five goals in the group stage. I reckon Memphis Depay will fill his boots against... Senegal, Ecuador and Qatar 
and then he won't he won't do anything else for the rest of the tournament. So I'm going to go for him being the top scorer of the, the tournament. How about you? Are you going to have a sentimental exit from Me- Messi, for example? Um, yeah, could do. I mean, I think I've got a funny feeling actually. Something because of the how weird it sort of falls. It, something weird could happen. Like you could get, like you say, a, a player who no one's talking about be top goal scorer and get like 10 or mm. a team out of nowhere doing really well and getting to the final. But no, I'll probably, I'll play it safe. I'll go with, I'll just I'll go with Mbappe. I'll just play it safe. With <laughs> that, was a, that was a forward defensive stroke if ever I saw one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope uh, the World Cup treats you well however you wish to see it if, if, even if you don't even bother watching it at all and you just care about Wanderers of course we'll be there every single day at the Bolton News writing stories about them as if the World Cup were never even happening um, and hopefully stay safe at Fleetwood as well at the weekend fingers crossed not only have you got some goals to cheer about but you know a bit of, bit of entertainment as well let's get some smiles on faces for crying out loud uh, but until that point in time I have been Mark World Cup Willie Isles. And I have been Henry, that cockerel from France 98, Hewitt. Ciao. This has been The Buff.